It's good to be here. It's good to be together on another Sunday. It's good to be in a church that loves each other, um, a church that loves Christ and His Word, uh, and a church that is willing for people like me to stand up here. Uh, my name is David. For those that don't know, I get the privilege of serving the church as a deacon, as a small group leader. Uh, fair, fair warning, I am an accountant by day. So, just just setting expectations. Um, I feel like I could just read the psalm and after the servant's testimony and sit down and we would all be rejoicing in Christ. Um, but this morning, we will work our way through Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you're new to the Bible, you can take out your device, search in a browser, Psalm 103 ESV. That will get you the same version that I'm reading from. Um, I always find it helpful to have the text in front of you when listening to a message. And if you have one of those nice church Bibles from the back, the page number for Psalm 103 is 288, 288. At least that's, that's what I remember. If it's not, don't, don't hold me accountable. Uh, the Psalms are filled with so much emotions, right? It's, it's an appropriate passage um, in light of our moaning. And a lot of these psalms are filled with passion and excitement. But we don't always feel that way, especially towards God, Christ, and our faith. If you find yourselves in one of those spots this morning, or if you find yourself easily distracted away from the gospel, then this psalm is for me, right? And it's it's probably for you. Follow along as I read Psalm 103. The word of the Lord reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowds you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But... 
but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Join me in praying for God's help this morning. Dear Father, we we come to you today looking for you to work and to meet us. We need your help this morning. Stir our affections for you. Renew and refresh our hearts in the good you've done for us. Satisfy us this morning in the steadfast love of Christ that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Help me to help my friends. Give me clarity of thought, strength. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the great philosophical journals of America, the Reader's Digest um, from 1976, describes one of America's greatest diseases. And I bet, I bet it's an answer that you can't guess. So, so everyone, get a thought in your mind. Think about your answer. And the answer is boredom. Now, I don't need to see a show of hands, but if you did get that right, go ahead and, uh, and pat yourself on the back. Um, boredom in 1976 was one of America's greatest diseases. Um, and, and not much has changed since then. In my, in my long couple of hours research of boredom on the internet, I came across the ever interesting Joe Rogan. He has lots, lots of thoughts uh, and ideas to share. And he had a couple meditation experts on one of his podcasts to talk about this great American disease. And I found these definitions of boredom very helpful. Quote, boredom is the inability to pay attention or for- focus. focus. Boredom is scattered attention while looking for something worthy of paying attention to. Right? Right. Think about that an inability to pay attention, or the inability to find something worth paying attention to. In other words, what they were saying was whatever, whatever excites you keeps you interested and does not bore you. These words of the meditation experts hit a little too close to home for me. Boredom with waiting in line is one thing, But what about when boredom begins to characterize my relationship with God? We'd be foolish to think that this struggle of paying attention to our God, who who is supremely worth our attention, um, does not creep into our own faith um, and our own approach to church. To be direct, I'm bored with God, bored with His gospel, bored with His ways. We end up living in the boredom of the gospel and not the good of it. We're, we're more interested in what's going on at, at work or school, in our families, sports, 
social media, relationships, modern church trends, the promises of the world, and even our sin. We can be distracted from the good of the gospel by, by things like failures of our prior week, a difficult conversation that keeps just playing over and over again, what happened on the car ride to church, right? dangerous endeavors, familiarity with the gospel, and so forth. The psalmist was fighting against this same temptation. When we pay attention to who God is, He excites us. There's nothing boring about our God in Psalm 103. The benefits of God are so generous and abundant and good, and they arrest our attention. They arrest our hearts. The psalmist is working to awaken himself and his congregation and us to see our God clearly and respond. This God captivates our heart and thrills our souls. God captivates our hearts and thrills our souls. So this morning we're going to walk through the psalm. We're going to see all the ways that God's beauty and grace are worthy of our attention. We'll see that we are captivated by God's goodness, and we are not bored. We are not distracted. If you're taking notes, we'll be looking at the text in three major chunks, how God deals with you today, how God has dealt with you, and how God will deal with you. The first section, see how God deals with you today. Back to the text in verses 1 and 2, if you just looked down at them, um, David starts off by talking to his soul. He wants to be praising God and is fighting back against that which is distracting to him, whatever is causing him to forget. He wants his whole being, right? He says, all that is within me to respond to all God's benefits. Uh, a, a quick helpful note here that that word benefits can also be translated as dealings. Um, so we see this as God's actions, His treatment of us and toward us. That is what benefits in this passage is all about. So let's, let's look at that list that David has for us this morning. Starting with verse 3, it reads, Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Right, today, we have access to God's forgiveness. This is, this is the first in the list. This is probably the most important, uh, most f amazing in this list. Today, I stand before you forgiven. Today, you sit before me forgiven. God is ready to apply His forgiveness to all of us in all of our needs, no matter how big our sin is, no matter how besetting it is, God's forgiveness is sufficient for you today. We, we have access to a never-ending supply of forgiveness, and we need it, and we use it. This, this one grace of God is sufficient for us and for our hearts to be captured, to be captivated for all eternity. Like we sang this morning, we will sing forever 
of God's work and his forgiveness in our lives. We also see there in the second half of verse 3, God's power and rule over illness and health. This, this also gets us excited. He is, he's actively healing us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, we know God's healing is not always in our timing, and it's not always to the extent to which we are looking for. But where you are at right now is a gift of God, right? Everyone in this room is healthy enough to be at church. That is a gift. Um, as we've seen sickness spread through the church in our communities, um, to be able to gather together is a gift from God. If you are making progress today, if you see the Lord's healing of you, it is His work, it is His activity and His power. And one day, one day, all weakness, all sickness, body and soul will be gone, gone forever. God will eradicate all of that, and we will live in perfect goodness and harmony with Him. And oh, oh, what a day that will be. Continuing to verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, that's what the text reads, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Again, just, just continues on, pours on. God has kept you alive. He has protected and delivered you from dangers and threats and enemies that, that have surrounded you, that are surrounding you right now, this very day. He keeps us alive in Christ. You have been redeemed from the pit. You have a new life in Jesus, which was bought with the precious blood of Christ. All the things that could have happened to you, He has guided and protected you each and every step of your day. He delivers you from sins and temptations, and we can rejoice in those deliverances and his protection and care. Second half of verse 4 there, right, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, right? This is an image of him placing upon us, clothing us with his steadfast, committed, loyal love and his mercy. Our lives are filled with blessings and spiritual riches every day. We, we heard some of those this morning. We've experienced those in our service. The Lord is gracious and abundant in His provisions for you. And what we often need is eyes to see it. And we see it, again, in you, the church. We see it in the places we live. We see it in the work we do, the food we eat, the friends we have. All of these are evidences of God's steadfast love and mercy in your lives. We are not worthy of these blessings. We have not earned or deserved anything that we have today or have ever have or will have. And yet in Christ, we have immeasurable riches. No worth, but no need. Who better to thrill your soul this morning than our generous Father? 
Moving on to verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, right? So God, God, God not only gives us these benefits, but then He gives us the ability to be satisfied by them. We can find contentment and joy in our circumstances. We can find hope and endurance in whatever we are going through because the Lord is the one who satisfies us. He not only satisfies us, but He gives us a tireless and abundant sense of energy, like, like the eagles, hence the illustration, nothing crazy going on there. Um, but He gives us an energy that allows us to endure, to make it through each of our days. When we go to bed tonight, it is only by the grace of God that we have gotten there, and it is only His work to strengthen and provide endurance. Do you, do you feel weak and weary this morning? Look to Christ. Do you feel like you won't make it through the day? Only He can provide strength and energy for you to endure. We could stay here uh, in this section for the whole sermon. Right? We could hear testimonies of how you all have seen and experienced God's love and His benefits. Um, I, I have not done this passage justice. Right? The psalmist wants us to be overwhelmed to be inspired and thrilled by God's acts in our lives right now. Feel that. Feel the overpowering work of God that we get to experience every moment of every day. And, and let yourselves be amazed at what God is doing. If we want God's dealings with us to captivate, grab our attention, and to excite us, to, to thrill our souls, then, then we need to remember what we have. And by building and developing a, a habit of identifying God's grace in our lives, right, we're good at seeing those in others, but we're not necessarily as good at seeing it in ourselves, fuels our excitement in Christ. Right, this doesn't, this won't come naturally. Uh, th this is not a, uh, a gift of the Spirit. Um, well, I guess it is, actually. Um, but we must, we must discipline and train ourselves to look and to reflect on where we see God working in our lives each moment of each day. And, and one practical way that we can do this is fill our downtime with remembering. Right? We all we all stand in a line. At some point or another this week, you will stand in a line. And lines are a great place to say no to our phones for a moment. And how, has, how have I received God's love and care today? Brief moment of just a quick reflection, right? Showers, showers are another great place, right? point of the day to meditate and to thank God for being alive, for His provisions to give you a shower. I mean, that's, this is all that we have, all we experience each day of the life is grace of God in your life. And the more we look, the more we see it, the more we see it, the more our souls are excited, the more interested we become, and we watch the Lord grow our joy in him. The psalmist now wants us 
wants to turn our attention right, to the past. Remember how we got here, how we, how we made it to this moment in our history. So this second section of the psalm is see how God has dealt with us, right? See how God has dealt with us. Look with me back at the text in verses 6 and 7. It reads, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Here, here David is using language that is reminding his audience of their redemptive history, of their redemptive story. These two verses point to the greatest act of God's work of salvation, at least to this point in Israel's history, right? The Exodus, a people enslaved and in bondage and unable to help themselves, stuck in the land of Egypt, a people desperate for God to break in and bring about their freedom. So what does God do? God acts. He acts with a strong arm, and He delivers His people out of their hands, and He defeats their enemies completely. God saved them and then used Moses to lead and guide them. Eventually, if you're familiar with, with the Exodus story, He eventually leads them to the Promised Land. And David wants his original audience to be excited about how God saved and delivered the people of Israel, because this work of salvation is foundational for the benefits and the blessings that they are receiving. It is the basis for the way that God is dealing with them. Right, we share a similar story in the gospel. We were once enslaved and in bondage to sin, stuck under the penalty of our rebellion, helpless and without hope, and then Christ came into the world with a strong arm, right? He lived a life we could not. He died a death we deserve to satisfy the full wrath of God and to pay for our sins in full. He rose from the dead and ascended now and is seated at the right hand of God. We get His righteousness, and He takes all of our sins. For those who are in Christ, right, we each have an amazing story of how God saved us, the people He used, the timings, the experiences that we went through. And it is just that. It is, it is amazing. It is thrilling. Right? There is no such thing as a boring conversion story, right? No one, no one should ever introduce their conversion story with, mine's a bit boring, right? No act of God is ever dull or uninteresting, right? Every act of God is miraculous and supernatural. All these benefits that we've gone through today are available to you because of your place in Christ, your position, the salvation that's been completed for you, the finished work of Christ is the basis for which God now treats you as His child. If you are sitting here this morning and you think I sound crazy, you wouldn't be too far off, but the invitation is open hear and believe that the Lord Jesus is good. He opens up His arms and the opportunity to you to come and to believe, to be made new, to experience the joy of being in His family.
there's nothing better to pay attention to in this whole wide world than our great God and Savior. If you have questions, please stay after the service. There are lots of people that would like to talk to you this morning about Jesus and his gospel. Back to the Exodus. Um, just one, one interesting note about David's reference here, why he would include this reference to the Exodus. Obviously, it's important with his redemptive aspect, but it also serves as a warning. After this great act of deliverance, God brings his people to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God makes known his word and his ways. He calls up Moses to the mountain, um, as referenced here in, in verse 7, and he's gone for a bit. And during that time, the people of Israel lose interest. Somehow, the God who parted the Red Sea, right? No one's, no one's at the base of this mountain thinking, how did we get here, right? No one's, no one's walking through the Red Sea saying, man, this is a great accident. Uh, no, they knew that the Lord was their deliverance and salvation, and yet, and yet, in a moment of quiet, and in a moment of downtime, um, the people of Israel pursue a different God. They make an idol, a golden calf. And we face the same temptation to forget and to move on from the gospel of Christ. Your pastors and church leaders work hard that this may not happen. And may the Lord continue to use all of us to keep our focus on his gospel and find the work of Christ worthy of our every Sunday morning and all of our praise. Uh, David continues to expound this salvation, verses 8 through 10 in our text. A lot of this language is used often and frequently within the Old Testament. So the original audience, they're picking up on all the cues of what David is doing here this morning. Just a couple quick highlights. Verse 8, rich reminder of who God is, right? Merciful, read with me, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the God who has dealt graciously and lovingly towards you. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him. This delights our soul. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Again, more good news because we sin, and then, and then we sin some more, and then we sin next year, and then we sin a few decades from now. We are continuing in Christ, secure, but continuing to sin and to fall short. And yet our position in Christ means that we will never, ever, ever be held accountable. We will never face the wrath of God for our, our acts of rebellion against Him, our disobedience. We are safe and secure in Christ this morning, right? What joy and hope we have to go into this afternoon, because I probably won't make it to, to lunch before I am sinning again. Continuing on, verses 11, 12, Psalmist describes the height and breadth of the love that it took to bring us to himself, right? As high, in verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, right? That's the depth kind of love that it takes in order to reach down 
and to save a people who are not worthy of it, a people who are actually rebelling against Him in the act of it. Verse 12, our sins are removed right as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> Be excited. This is your reality. For those of you in Christ, this is your status. You have experienced a love of God that extends to the heavens, and your sins have been removed from you so that they will never, ever again come in consequence or penalty upon you. This almost sums up this section of verses 13 with a reminder of how God's saving work is, demonstrates His compassion as a father and His care for you. God knows us, right? At the end, we are, we are dust, right? He knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. And He provides for us regardless of who we are and where we're at. If you know me and someone would ask you, hey, what interests Deacon Dave? I bet you could give them a pretty sizable list. Um, things like soccer, Tolkien, work, food, progressive metal, and so, so much more. You would know these things about me because, because, because I, talk, I talk about them. Uh, if I'm interested in something, I will let you know um, for my good and your bad, but, but still, I will let you know. When God's saving work in our lives captures our day-to-day attention, we're going to want to talk about it. If, if you, like me, find yourself struggling to share and to pro- proclaim Christ's saving work in your life, continue to build and develop a love for Christ and His cross. Cultivate an excitement in yourself about the forgiveness you've received about your new life eternal and about all that Christ did to express his steadfast love for you in his gospel. If, if we become excited about what Christ has done for us, we'll start talking about him more. And those around us will know what sort of an impact Christ has made. And then we can just sit back and watch as God works in those around us. We've looked at how God deals with us today, how God has dealt with us, but what about our future? In our last, very brief section, we see how God will deal with you, how God will deal with you. The psalmist begins this section in verse 15 and 16. He's looking, he's looking at our futures, right? What, what do our futures hold? What does the world around us hold? It's short and it's quick, just like grass and wildflowers, right, in Southern California. We get some rain in the spring. Everything's green and great for a month, and then it's back to brown. Uh, that, that is the quintessential picture of humanity in this world around us. It, it is a, a vapor. It is a passing moment. So then, then David grabs our attention, right, with a look at God's future and the future of his love and promises. Look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children's. God's love for us will never end. What he has started, he will complete in you. His promises to care and to provide and to save continue 
to the generations after us until the Lord comes again and makes all these things full. We also know that His promises will endure. Look down at verse 19. It reads, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. Right? There's no competing power here. Continuing verse 19, His kingdom rules over all. Since our God is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, His ways and good dealings will endure. Even though our lives are brief and we pass away, our hope is eternal. There is no enemy to threaten God's love for us, His saving work, or His promises. The hope of God's endurance and unchangeableness captures our attention because it's so different from our experience and the experience of the world around us. It's, it's exciting knowing that the God who works in your life today, the God who's worked in your life in the past, will continue to work in your life and all the days to come into a glorious eternity. Psalm 103 wraps up in verses 20 and 22 with a response of praise, right? That seems appropriate. Um, all the psalmist has listed causes us to, causes all created order, not just us, all created order to rejoice. You see, he lists a number of different angels, hosts, ministers are all rejoicing in response to who and what God has done. And the psalmist, one, for one final time, adds his own voice, a last cry to himself of, of David, respond in praise to God for all the goodness that you have received. The phrase show whole per, per Netflix is the sadness experienced after finishing an excellent TV show. There are no more readily available episodes leaving you feeling empty, uh, a reality for all 21st century people. And the funny part is, is, is that anticipation, right? We, we start to anticipate that a show we really like is about to end. And, and somehow, in that anticipation, we actually begin to lose interest in the show, almost as if, like, well, I know you're going to finish, so I don't really care how it ends. Um, it's, it's such an odd, but, but we, do, we, we do see it play out in our lives as we view God's work. We've seen and we know that God has saved us. We see His grace in our lives. But then somehow we think it's going to stop. We think that somehow the grace of God is just going to dry up or that, that maybe I'll sin too much or I'll go too far, that God will stop working and acting in my life. The reality, though, of God's loyal and committed love, His steadfast love being from everlasting to everlasting should only cause us to anticipate it, to continue to work and to meet us in all of life before us. He will never stop working. Have we given up on ourselves? Have, have our current and struggles and circumstances seemed too big for God to do anything with? Oh, oh. God is enthroned in the heavens. He rules over all, and His steadfast love for you stretches to the universe and to the eternity. Do not stop anticipating the Lord to meet you. Get excited to see, we saw this this morning, right? Get excited to see how God will work in your life. May we become a church that anticipates 
God's action, filled with hope and joy, looking forward to act, to forgive, to redeem, and to heal. When we pay attention to the Lord, who is, who is worthy of our attention, and remember His dealings with us, it addresses our, bol- our, our, boldness, our boredom and coldness of heart. We've seen in the psalm what it means to live in the good of the gospel, right? Every Sunday, we go off with that. This psalm is the demonstration example of what it means to live in the good of the gospel. Be captivated. Be thrilled about all that God is doing today, all that He has done, and all that He will do. may, May we go out refreshed and refocused and rejoicing into our weeks, satisfied and expecting to see God's goodness in our lives. Let's pray. Dear, dear Father, we, we come to you once again. We, we have nowhere else to go. Show us your power. Show us your work in our lives. Oh, Lord, may we see the abundance of grace that you have covered us with, that you continue to display before us. Oh, Lord, we are dependent upon you and you alone. You must meet us where we are today. Spirit, thrill our souls with God's goodness. Cause the world and the distractions around us to dim, and the glory of God to shine. We need you to do this work, Lord, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.